0: Self-control is our topic um, as we continue through our larger topic of issues of the heart. Um, and as I was looking at this and thinking about it, reading about it, um, I realized that almost every other topic that, we, that we'll go over and almost every other fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5 along with self-control requires self-control. Uh, it's kind of similar when you look at God's attributes and you see His holiness and how His holiness is required uh, for all of his other attributes, and that's why his name is holy, 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 right? And so, um, very similar as I looked at this, uh, you can't truly be peaceful, joyful, patient, kind, good, gentle, or faithful if you're lacking self-control. And even the greatest commandment uh, of love, of us to to be love and to demonstrate love, we cannot demonstrate biblical love without self-control. We can. We can... The, the world's definition of love has all kind of lack of self-control in it. Um, but biblical love requires self-control. So it's a really important uh, issue of the heart that I think uh, will really benefit us if we can grow in it. And, uh, and as we think about all these other issues of our heart, we have, our hearts have lots of issues. The world talks a lot about self-control. There's lots of self-help books. There's lots of secular writing that you can find out there about self-control. But normally, uh, in almost every case, uh, which is just an outworking of this worldview, is that it's about you. It's about the things that you can do. You know, learn how to count to ten or take some certain steps that you can do uh, in order to improve your self-control. But we understand, uh, as believers, that we're not too be controlling ourself, we're to be putting ourself to death, right? We are to die to self. <clears throat> we are to walk in the spirit uh, who replaces that dead self. Um, and though our self is never completely dead, uh, this side of glory, uh, if we're walking in the spirit and allowing God to control ourself uh, and allowing the, us, the spirit to help us to control ourself uh, and to seeking to look like Jesus, uh, that is the way uh, to walk in accordance with his law and to walk in true wisdom, and to actually make progress in uh, what the Bible would would show us is self-control. So as we work out our sanctification and strive along the Spirit, we do this daily. We grow in our control of ourselves, putting ourselves to death daily, uh, putting our sin to death. And and as we look at this, I just want to go through three ways uh, that we do this, three three big uh, steps here that you'll see on your outline, and it's understanding, developing, and exercising self-control. So we're going to understand what the Bible says about self-control. We're going to talk about ways that we develop it, and then we're going to talk about how we exercise that and live that out. So point one, understand self-control. And the first point under understanding self-control is that we have to understand the necessity of self-control. Before I think we even define self-control, we've got to understand the necessity of it. Proverbs 25, 28 that uh, makes it very clear. The writer says, Like a city that is broken into and without a wall is a man without restraint over his spirit. And that's where I got my one PowerPoint slide. <laughs> we have a wall um, that is being broken down. And that's a very clear picture as we look through uh, the history of the ancient world and just the importance of walls having cities as they were constantly under siege uh, from those around them. Uh, similar, uh, our heart is constantly under siege and without self-control, we have no wall uh, to to protect us. As we see in that text, uh, he talks about the restraint over spirit. Spirit, as we learned uh, at the beginning of this series when Aaron was giving his overview, that that is everything in our inner man. Right? If you haven't listened to that message, I would go back Uh, That was a a really helpful lesson from Aaron on how the Bible talks about the inner man and all the different ways. Um, And if we fail to maintain a wall of self-control around our heart, we will be easily infiltrated by Satan's world system, and that definitely and directly impacts our ability to to deal with other issues of the heart. We see a failure. We see broken walls. And self-control obviously from unbelievers. Uh, That's to be expected. But we also see it all around us in the Christian community. Uh, We see people being controlled by their self and their emotions, uh, losing the defense of biblical wisdom that they should have as a Christian, um, and and allow it to fall into bad thinking and bad theology. Uh, We see churches responding poorly to public health issues, partiality issues, and the ever-present sin issues of sexuality that are around us uh, and surrounding and in the church. This isn't going to stop. As Satan's system gets darker and continues to close in around us, it will be more and more important that we are self-controlled, that we understand the right way to go about self-control, and we maintain this wall of wisdom around our hearts so that we can maintain our witness. If we can't control our emotions and our decision making, then we cannot rep- rep- uh, Sorry, represent Christ well. So all that just to say that self-control is a necessity. It's not something that uh, you know, we'll, we'll think about tomorrow or we'll get around to eventually. Maybe when I'm a little bit older and maybe the kids are out of the house, it'll be easier to have self-control. Um, it is a necessity uh, immediately. Today is the day that we need to grow in self-control. So let's look at, at what self-control is. Um, we see this word several times in Scripture. Uh, the, the Greek is egkratia, and we see that in Acts 24-25, and 25, 24, 25, Galatians five twenty three, and 2 Peter 1-6. And the, the definition is a strong mastery over passions and lusts, power over self and flesh, and temperance. So we see in that definition that Strength is required for self-control. Passions. uh, Mastery over our passions. Passions aren't a bad thing. They're good gifts from a loving God, but they're terrible masters. We must remain strong in the Spirit in order to keep our passions in their lane. And then we see temperance. And that's not a word that we use a ton. uh, But as a construction guy, I see that in tempered water. And uh, the idea of tempered water is that you're mixing hot and cold automatically for somebody so that as they use a a public sink or drinking fountain, you're not getting hot water, you're not getting ice-cold water, but you're getting a tempered water in the middle. So that's that's the idea there of temperance. Not too high, not too low, uh, but just right. One author says in his definition of self-control, the ability to do the right thing even when you don't feel like it. So... That's only three verses with self-control. So that seems like, uh, seems like there would be more, right? Um, and there are. There's several other biblical uh, attributes that are directly or very closely aligned with self-control. Different, different Greek, uh, but the same idea. So we're going to look at a couple of those. One is sober-mindedness. Mindedness. We see that in 1 Peter 1.13 and four seven. So if you all want to turn there, we'll read those two verses from from Peter. He says in chapter 1, verse 13, "...therefore, having girded your minds for action, being sober in spirit," or sober-minded, "...fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ." And then in chapter 4, verse 7, "...the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound thinking and sober spirit." For the purpose of prayer, Peter's talking about a mindset that's not affected by drunkenness towards idols. It's completely full of the truth, and most of us probably, uh, as believing Christians, are not out getting drunk on alcohol, but we do have tendencies to get drunk on lots of other things. Right? We may not like to to think of it that way, but we do. We have we get drunk on. Uh, work. We get drunk on the praise of men. We get drunk on entertainment and uh, comfort. Lots of things. Uh, for me, Aggie football uh, is a problem. Um, so we have lots of things uh, that that we allow to to keep us from being sober-minded. And I think if we if we think honestly about that, we know what those things are that consistently force us into a situation where our thinking is not sober. <clears throat> Another word that the New Testament uses, Paul uses multiple times in Titus here, sensible. Titus 1 8, Titus 2 2, and Titus 2 5. I'm going to start with 1 8 we're in the middle, he's kind of in the middle of a thought here, but he says, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and reprove those who contradict. So we see sensible there, and and almost right next to it, we see self-controlled. Titus 2, 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, and love, and perseverance. And so, not just so we think that this is directed to the men, uh, he goes on to say that the older women uh, should also be uh, instructing young women in sensibility. So they should not only be sensible, but they should be teaching sensibility to young women. So we see uh, this idea of of sensibleness uh, as a parallel to self-control Uh, in Titus. And then the related word that we see term used most in Scripture uh, is the idea of discipline. Um, And I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through all the different verses that the Bible has to say about discipline, but there's lots that is said about discipline. And discipline, uh, as you see in R. Kent Hughes' book, uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man, he he defines discipline. Uh, discipline the exact same way the previous author that I mentioned uh, defines self-control. Doing the things that you should do, but your flesh doesn't want to do. So we have the same idea here of discipline and self-control. Several categories of discipline. um, And if you haven't read Disciplines of a Godly Man, I would recommend it. It's a great book. Um, and he, he has several categories that we need discipline in relationships, our own soul, our character and our ministry. So this is covering all the things, uh, that our lives are made up of. And finally, as we think about, uh, the, the definition here and the, and the similar definitions for self-control, uh, we do need to stop and make sure that, that we're as Christians, we are pursuing this in the only way uh, that's valid and that is through the power of the Holy Spirit Um, like I mentioned the world wants us to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and to pursue self-control in our own strength uh, and that is a guaranteed route to failure for the believer we must be relying on the spirit we must be praying we must be asking for illumination in the areas where uh, we need to be doing that we need to be dying to self by the help of the spirit So, our next point is to develop self-control. And I'll look at three steps that we're going to take to strive along with the Spirit in our effort to die to self. And the first one is that we want to inventory our desires. James 4, verses 1 and 2, very familiar, I'm sure to most of you. James asked the question, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? is not the source of your ple- is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members you lust and you do not have so you murder you are envious and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel so our desires lead us to act in ways that would be contrary to self-control and if we're going to have a good strong mastery over our desires we need to have a good understanding of what our desires are and where we're prone to stumble uh, in our own wants, so I got a couple questions for us as a group to think about, um, and they they fall under an a, a overall heading of what do we desire truly? Where do our thoughts go when we're not busy? What are the things that we think about? Hobbies, uh, family, good thing, uh, dreams that we have. Uh, idols that we have in our hearts. Where do our thoughts go when, when we do have those rare moments where we get to relax? And maybe that moments aren't. Maybe those moments aren't rare. That's another issue. But where do our where do our minds go? Where do our thoughts go when we aren't busy? Second question: What are the things that we'll drop other things to do? Maybe we've got a list of things that we're going to get done on a Saturday, and then all of a sudden we realize, oh. There's this other thing going on that I really enjoy. What are those things that we give priority to? Um, It's different for all of us, right? All of us have those things that, that we desire in a way that we will prioritize over other things that we have going on. Third question, what do we really want out of our lives? What are our daydreams about? What kind of things do we really pursue as our end goal? Do we want comfort? Do we want, you know, a comfortable retirement? Do we want security? Um, or do we really truly want godliness? And I think most of us would say that we want Godliness. Right? That's that's the church answer. Yeah, that's what y'all are going to answer today, right? But how much desire do we have for godliness? Why do we see people like Tiger Woods or Elon Musk and marvel at their desire to be successful at their craft, but then lack the desire to be that great of a follower of Christ? Men, how many of us run hard after being at the top of our profession? Being somebody that's looked at as as an expert in what they do. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, But what's wrong with putting that kind of effort into our sanctification? Do we get trapped and fall into the legalism lie? Thinking that putting in hard work is a sign that we're just legalistic Christians? Um, We need to think rightly about that. We need to understand that the desire behind our actions is actually what makes these works legalistic. Not the actual work. We're commanded to do the work. Philippians 2.12 tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The next chapter, Philippians Philippians 3, tells us that we need to strive alongside the Spirit to what lies ahead. So there's an idea of work and effort and uh, expending energy towards these things. So if we are actually little Christs, why aren't we striving as much as we could to be like Christ? As I've mentioned previously already, we have the power to do it. Romans 8.11 tells us, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. We have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead in us. Uh, I don't know what else we would want in terms of resources uh, in these efforts. So why are we lacking in our desires? Is it a fear of man? Is it a love of comfort? Are we just distracted by the world? Are we distracted by good things? Um, Do we use the good things that the Lord's given us, the things that He calls us to, uh, but actually put them in the wrong order? As we heard first hour in thinking about our work, are we really working for the glory of God? Or are we working really hard and saying that's what we're doing, but that's not where our heart attitude is? So how can we shift our desires so that they are more God glorifying? We need to grow our love for God. There are several ways we can do that. We need to understand who God is. We need to study Him. We need to study His perfections. We need to increase the stature of the object of our faith to strengthen our faith. We need to we need to consider His incomparability. So let's turn to Psalm 89 real quick. I'm going to read Psalm 89, 5 through 11, as we think about how incomparable our God is. The psalmist says, The heavens will praise your wonders, O Yahweh, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the Holy Ones. For who in the sky is comparable to Yahweh? Who among the sons of the mighty is like Yahweh, a God greatly dreaded in the council of the Holy Ones? And fearsome above all those who are around him. O Yahweh, God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Yah? Your faithfulness also surrounds you, your rule, the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You yourself crushed Rahab like one who is slain. You scattered your enemies with your strong arm. The heavens are yours, and the earth also is yours. The world in its fullness, you have founded them. No other God can make these claims. Uh, George Swinnick, who's a Puritan writer, wrote uh, this pretty small little book called The Incomparableness of God. I'd I'd recommend it. Um, And he has a, a short statement here at the very beginning. I just want to read real quick. He says, Dark corners of a house are filled with dust, dark cellars with vermin, and dark hearts With cursed lusts, there's our desires. None are enlarged in desires after God, or ravished with delight in God, or can cast their souls and all their concerns on God, but those that are acquainted with him. So we need to know who God is. We need to observe his beauty and his power in creation as we see in Psalm 19. There's an opportunity every day as we walk around that God's given us to to see His power demonstrated, to be reminded uh, if we think purf- purposely about the physical world that He's put around us. Second, in, ades- in addition to understanding who God is, we need to understand what God has said. Biblical literacy is a major key to growth and self-control. We must be trusting in the power of perfection and sufficiency of His Holy Word. We've talked about that with several of these heart issues, right? Um, Do we believe that the Bible is sufficient for these things? Or do we think that we need something more, something outside, some other person's opinion? Psalm 119, verses 97 and 98 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are mine forever. And Paul made this clear as he was handing off ministry to Timothy uh, and instructing his disciple in the ministry. First Timothy 4:16, he says, "Pay a cl- play clo- Sorry, let me start over. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will save both yourselves and those who hear you." pay attention to your teaching, pay attention to your doctrine. Paul was telling Timothy not to rest in his status, but to understand that doctrine matters and it was going to be necessary for Timothy in his ministry. We also need to consider what God has promised. He's promised to grow us in Christ's likeness, to eventually, in glory to perfect that work to finish that work he's also promised us abundant life he promises fruitfulness in our family and ultimately he promises eternal life with him in heaven so we need to consider that as we think about um, how we grow our love for him Colossians 3 1-4 we already read this morning Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with Him in glory. So that reality, those promises, should grow our love for God. And finally, we should ask God for help In this he's given us the wonderful blessing of being able to come to him in prayer and yet i think far too often when we fall into lack of self-control we look back and we realize we had an opportunity to go to the lord and instead we tried to make it happen on our own and that's when we fall short So the next thing we need to do is we need to develop our understanding of walking wisely. We need to grow our understanding of what that actually looks like. Galatians 5.16, right before we get down to the fruits of the Spirit, Paul says, "...to walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh." Trying to walk outside the guidance of the power of the Holy Spirit is going to lead to frustration and failure, like I just mentioned. So we need to be walking by the Spirit. We also need to be walking by wisdom. The Bible has lots of wisdom literature for us. We need to learn uh, what is there. We see even in the very beginning of the Proverbs in chapter 1 what the purpose of the book is. It says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and discipline. So there's one of our parallel words with self-control. Discipline, to understand the sayings of understanding, to receive discipline that leads to insight, righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, to the youth knowledge and discretion. Let the wise man hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire guidance. So we need to be pursuing a walk of wisdom. We need to be learning from the Proverbs what wisdom looks like. And then we need to understand that our self-control is going to be under attack. Uh, This is where uh, Satan has the whole world system at his disposal to to try to bring Christians to self-control failures. He's pretty good at it. And so we need to understand... Maybe some of the key areas, we could probably stand here, I could stand here all day and, and take things from y'all that where you see that he attacks. But there's several that we see uh, that are kind of at the top of the list, I would say. and Some of these wouldn't even make sense to somebody living 20 years ago. But our phones, we are going to be under attack On our phones. We have more information available in our hand and in our pocket at all times than most people in human history had available to them in their lifetime. We can't approach this nonchalantly. We must understand the power that these glowing boxes have to destroy our self control and the way that Satan is using them to promotes self-focus and lack of discipline, right? Go on social media, you can see lack of self-control, lack of discipline everywhere uh, from people that we would think a lot of times should have some self-control. So we've got to understand that we're under attack by that device that we're carrying around with us. We're also under attack in our living room. We're... We're told that we need to shut down and have me time, that we need to decompress and, and relax. And relaxing and getting rest is is a biblical thing. Uh, but it's easy to let it turn into uh, an, a, a thing where you zone out and just entertain yourself to death. So we need to make sure that, that we're redeeming our living rooms, that we're not just vegging out and, and allowing... Uh, self glorification to turn into lack of self control. Another area where we're under attack is in the kitchen. Food's another thing that the Bible encourages us to enjoy, but our culture's in a place where we can quickly allow that to become something that promotes loss of self control. Right? We can we can give in to every time that we pass by a uh, frozen yogurt place right or every time we pass by starbucks and we're like well it's just coffee and six pounds of sugar (laughs) right we uh we can fall into these traps of allowing uh food to comfort us when we're struggling instead of going to the lord uh, when we lose self-control in this way, it, it, it can seem like it's no big deal. Uh, but our enjoyment of food can negatively affect our service to the king. When we lose self-control in regards to food, we can experience illness, loss of energy, and lots of other physical ailments that hinder our ministry, especially long term. If we want to finish the race well, we need to be staying away from those things that would Uh, negatively affect us doing that. One other place where we're under attack um, in this culture, and and there's a group of these places, uh, but places where self-worship and uh, lack of modesty are kind of the celebrated thing. So, the beach, uh, the gym, places where... uh, You may feel like everywhere you walk you just have to look at the floor we have to understand that we are under attack there there is a movement there motivated to draw us to these things that satan knows we're drawn to he knows that we that we desire those things and in a lot of ways those are good things inside the the marriage arrangement but he knows that that we are visual creatures and and he wants to draw us into lack of self-control in these areas. And we'll talk more about lack of self-control in sexual areas in a minute. But we need to understand that that is something uh, that Satan uses. And it continues to get worse, just like everything else. Next, we need to understand the key areas where we need self-control most. Where maybe the, the pressure is not from the outside, the phone. Or the food, but the things inside of us where we need to grow in self-control. Do we need to grow in self-control over the praise of man and worldly success? You can look at Psalm 27:1. It says, Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the strong defense of my, my life. Whom shall I dread? And a lot of times maybe we don't think of fear of man like that, like it's not a literal fear of man. But if we really evaluate our decision making, we really evaluate how we do things, it's seeking the praise of man over the praise of God. I think all of us would say that we fear Yahweh, but if we're honest and we really look at our lives, there's lots of places where we fall short. Some more questions we can ask ourselves. Do I need things to be going well in order to feel like I have worth? Do I need my family to be going well? Do I need work to be going well? Do I need my ministry to be exceedingly fruitful in everything that I do in order to feel like I have worth? Because that's fear of man, right? That's, That's wanting to see Results that other people would see and say, Man, look at that guy's ministry. Look at that guy's family. Look at the way that that wife serves her family every day. Those are the things that a lot of times become ways that we stumble in fear of man. Instead of understanding that the results aren't up to us, that the obedience and the faithfulness is up to us, but not the results. Another question, do you feel empty or depressed when your spouse doesn't show you love the way you need? Are you expecting your your spouse to uh, provide something that only Christ can provide? Other ways that we can can evaluate whether or not uh, we're falling into fear of man. Are you overcommitted? Uh, Are you always second guessing decisions because you're afraid of what others might think? Do you get easily embarrassed? Do do other people often make you angry or depressed? Do you have problems saying no? All of these are signs that you have replaced a fear of God with a fear of man. The next place we may need... Well, we do need, I'm not going to say may, we do need help from the Spirit and growing is in laziness. We see in Proverbs 6.6, 6, the author telling us to go to the ant and look at the ant. We're all familiar with that passage. <clears throat> Had a great conversation with Red Tanksley this week. He kills ants for a living. Um, but uh, he was explaining to us a little bit of how the the work of the ants is such a social thing, and how it's not as hierarchical, hierarchical as we think. So y'all can bug him about that when you see him. Ask him, ask him for his dissertation on ants. God has a lot to say about being lazy, um, and if you're struggling in this area. I'd encourage you to go through. I I put a list of verses there in the outline that you can go through uh, to see what the Bible has to say and then find someone to hold you accountable on this uh, because we are called to labor for the kingdom. And I'm not going to read any of those verses because if you're struggling with laziness, I want you to go read them. Uh, we We need to be having victory over anger. <coughs> Proverbs 14.29 says, He is who is slow to anger has great discernment but he who is quick-tempered raises up folly. We see warnings all through the Proverbs about anger. And then one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible that I shouldn't tell you all this, but it's a lot of my passwords to a lot of my stuff, so if anybody wants to hack any of my accounts, um, is James one twenty. but I'll start in verse 19. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And I didn't have this in my notes, but this is a, a, a point where I just see... Uh, A clear indication of God's sovereignty and his providence uh, and how he operates. Because if you were to go interview anybody who I grew up with um, and ask them for one word to describe me, anger would be, I think, probably in the 90% range. Um, It was a major problem. And so for the Lord to work in a way where I would be teaching all of you all about self-control is uh, is pretty humorous to me. Um, uh, I see just the Lord's great ability to do that, and I'm not saying that I'm that I'm perfect in any way related to self-control, not even close. Um, but the fact that that um, He's made the progress that He has made is just all glory to Him. And so I just share with you all that because uh, there's a whole lot of people who would be more qualified to come and talk about this than me. We see that we need power over the tongue. Proverbs 15:28 The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil things. Proverbs 17:27 He who holds back his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of discernment. So clear commands here to have power over our tongues. That was 1727. Next chapter over, 1813. He who responds with a word before he hears is folly and shame to him. And then Colossians 4.6. Y'all know this one. Let your words always be with grace, seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should answer each person. As we think about having power over the tongue, um, we speak in in different ways. We do speak audibly, right, obviously. That's the direct uh, application here is the tongue. (coughs) Uh, But we also speak in other ways, you know. And we talked earlier about the phone. We speak with our fingers and, I guess, primarily now our thumbs. Uh, we used to speak with all the fingers but now now we're just using I don't know why I took a typing class um, but that is speech and too many times uh, believers are not holding back our words um, and having a cool spirit We are, we are quick to fire off a biblical response when the Bible right here is telling us that maybe we ought to not. We need to grow in our power over sexual sin. Proverbs five fifteen: Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. <clears throat> I want to go through just uh, one of the one of the things that I listened to in preparing for this was a talk that John MacArthur gave to new students at the Masters University. In regards to self-control, I thought it was really helpful. And so I'm just going to go through a couple of his points. Just want to make sure I give him credit um, because I can't improve on it. Um, so he says, and, and we'll, be, we'll be going really quickly through Proverbs 5, 21 through 23. So if y'all want to turn there, um, we'll be going through a couple of things related to that text that says, For the ways of a man are before the eyes of Yahweh, and he watches all his tracks. His own iniquities will capture him who is the wicked one. And with the cords of his sin, he will be held fast. He will die for lack of discipline. In the abundance of his folly, he will stumble in intoxication. So we see right at the beginning here in Proverbs 5.21 that the ways of man are before the eyes of Yahweh. So we need to realize that God sees everything. He sees our thoughts he sees what we're looking at when nobody else is around. And then in 22, his own iniquities will capture the wicked. People whose sin are going to get caught in their sin. and will be held within the cords of it. The next verse, 523, he will die for lack of self-control. And we see starting back in chapter 2, the book of Proverbs begins to talk about an adulterous woman, to talk about sexual sin, it talks about how she lures someone, how she draws him away into this illicit relationship. And that becomes a theme that runs all the way through verse or chapter 7. Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, wants us to be very careful about self-control in the sexual area. Chapter 5 talks about it. Chapter 6 talks about it. Chapter 7 talks about it. And chapter 7 closes with this word. Her house is the way. This is the house of the adulterous woman. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Descending to the chambers of death. He says it's a tough world out there, and there's a tremendous amount of solicitation towards sexual sin. We must pray constantly, diligently, And faithfully and seek self-control in this area and obviously he's talking to a whole bunch of 18 year old students who are just starting out at the Masters University but the same thing goes for us we have the same temptations we have the same enemy uh, there's the same world screaming at us to fall into these temptations And so as we think about that, we need to understand the path to failure in this area. So that we can have self-control in recognizing when we get into these steps and putting a stop to them before we get all the way down the road. Proverbs 7, starting in verse 6, says, For at the window of my house I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the simple and discerned among the sons a young man lacking a heart of wisdom passing through the street near her corner and he strides along the way to her house in the twilight in the evening of that day in the middle of the night and in the thick of darkness and behold a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart so that's what we're dealing with and we can learn from the examples that were given in the Bible of people who failed in this way who am I talking about who failed? Who failed most most famously in this area? David, King David, right? Maybe there's maybe we can have an argument. Maybe there's somebody else too. I was going for David. So, sorry. so we look at this pattern that David fell into in the situation with Bathsheba. We see first desensitization. We try that word again. Desensitization. We allow the world to desensitize us to the sinfulness of sin. We start to think that small sins are okay and we're desensitized to it. Then we relax. We think we're okay because we've we've lowered the standard here. Uh, We've desensitized ourselves. We've lowered God's standard and we're like, hey, I'm doing pretty good. There's a lot of people around me that really get into this stuff but I'm pretty good and we relax we think we're doing alright that relaxation allows us to become fixated so David starts to see Bathsheba and, and then he starts to become fixated on it Right? And he starts to think about now what am, now what am I going to do with this and we rationalize we make excuses for the fixation and then as we've rationalized and we've become fixated, then we fall. Degeneration is the last final step where we fall into sin. So we must not just see the example of David in Scripture and, and say, well, that's, that's disappointing that David would fail that way. We have to see it as instruction for us, as an example for us, that we can fall in the same way. Which takes us to the last, the last uh, section here in my outline, which is exercising self-control. <clears throat> There's several important ways that we need to exercise self-control. Most of these are related to some of the things we've talked about as we've gone through developing some self-control. So the first thing from Colossians 3 five through nine, is that we need to put off self-control killers. We need to have mastery over our phone. We need to have mastery over our television. We need to have mastery over comfort food. We need to have mastery over sexual temptation. We have to put off those things that would hurt us and hinder us in, that direct, in those directions. And then on the flip side of that, we got to put something on, right? We can't just put off bad things. We have to fill them back up with good things. We see that as Paul continues in Colossians 3, and verses 12 through 14. We can't stop with the putting off. We have to put on. We have to be about the work of self-control. We have to resist the temptation to be paralyzed by our failures in self-control and the ways that we mess up and get busy with growing and continuing to do the things that we need to do and replace the things that promote self-focus. So we talk about mastering the phone. We need to find... Other things to do, put the phone down, go for a run, um, have a conversation with your spouse, read a book. Um, I have a lot of guys tell me that, uh, that they don't like to read, right? They're not, eh, I'm, not a, I'm not a book guy. You know, maybe I'll read a little, this one's pretty small, so even if you say that, this is a small book, you can read this one. But I don't buy it. Um, I'm living proof that anybody can become a reader. Because I think my nickname in high school should have been Cliff Notes. I never, I never read any of the books that were assigned. Uh, I just read. I went and spent money on Cliff Notes, um, just because I didn't like to read. Uh, and that was uh, a pretty um, good kind of uh, pattern. Not a good pattern, a bad pattern, but. Uh, it was what I was prior to Christ saving me. Um, I don't think I read a book from college until I got saved, which was how many years? Twelve, 13, 12 years? Twelve years. I don't think I read anything. I keep a list now uh, of all the books that I read each year, and I really it's really a huge encouragement to go back and to look over those lists uh, over the last 10 years and just see um, how the Lord has changed that in my heart, how he has made me a reader um, when I-, I wasn't. Get off the couch. That's our, that's our put off, right? So what do we put on? Go on a date night with your wife. Meet, meet up with a buddy for Black Rifle. Have some discipleship and biblical fellowship. Notice I was specific about what kind of coffee to get. Don't go to Starbucks. Done. I'm off my soapbox. That was a really short soapbox. (laughs) I'm right here. Look into how you can serve further in the church. Pick up a new productive hobby. Find ways to put on good things, things that promote self-control and put off the things uh, that promote self-glory. Next, accept discipline, instruction, and reproof. Proverbs fifteen thirty-one: He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will lodge among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises his soul But he who listens to reproof acquires a heart of wisdom. The Proverbs again, full of commands to us to accept discipline, instruction, and reproof. And these are verses that those of us who have kids, we we love to talk to them about how they need to accept reproof. But this isn't necessarily written just to kids. This is written to all believers. Proverbs one twenty three, turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. This is wisdom speaking to us. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence for it flow the springs of life. So we need to guard our heart. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is senseless. So we talked earlier about sensibility and and the command to be sensible. Here we see if we're not accepting discipline and reproof, then we're the opposite. We're senseless. Cease listening, my son, to discipline and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Proverbs 19.27 So we need to accept discipline. We need to accept instruction and accept Reproof, which reminds me that somehow I skipped over one of my points here a second ago, but it it's necessary here in just thinking about um, this idea. I don't even know where it was now um, but we need good biblical friendships we need to we need to pursue those. Uh, that needs to be a high priority in our life. Um, and that's the way that, that you can grow in accepting discipline, instruction, and reproof is to have those people around you who know what you struggle with, who know um, where you need to grow, who know you and you know them, uh, which allows you to accept discipline and instruction and proof from somebody who, who you've confided in, from somebody who's walking alongside you and, and seeing the ways where you're stumbling, seeing things that he sees that may be concerning, right? Right. Um, That is how we can effectively grow in this way. We can't always not have any of these friends and expect people in church to just walk up and reprove us. One, it's really difficult to do when you don't know somebody intimately. Two, it's really hard to accept when you don't know that person intimately. You know, Somebody who I've never met before comes up here and wants to reprove me, that's a lot harder than somebody who I have a really close relationship that I know knows me. The last thing that we need to do here is to confess when we miss the mark. This is James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. This goes right in with that same idea, right? Of having these close biblical friends, people who, who know inside and out what you're dealing with. Uh, somebody that you can confess to uh, when you miss the mark. Hopefully that's your spouse. Hopefully that's the Lord. Uh, and hopefully that's a peer. Somebody that's uh, coming alongside you, discipling you, uh, sharpening each other uh, through that relationship. I think this command to confess may be the practice that takes the most self-control of any of them. Because it's so anti-self to admit and confess when we fall short. We must be walking in the Spirit and controlled by the Spirit if we have any hope of confessing in a way that promotes continued growth in Christ's likeness. So a lot of these practices, a lot of these things, a lot of things we talked about developing, a lot of things we're talking about practicing, they're very interconnected. Um... And so if you haven't taken time to make and to grow in some good biblical friendships, uh, it's going to be more difficult to do these things. It's going to be more difficult to receive good reproof. Um, And it's going to be harder to learn from and trust in people that you can confess sin to. So self-control is a massive, uh, lifelong pursuit. Like I said at the beginning, it's something that that underpins all the other fruits of the Spirit uh, that we're called to be pursuing. So my challenge to you all as we continue to go through this series is just to think back as we hear all these issues of the heart and we talk about all these issues of the heart and think about where discipline and self-control can really grow you in those areas from what we've heard today. Um, I've got a couple questions there on the last page of the outline um, so that we can have some discussion. It's 12 o'clock straight up, so we've got a few minutes with, uh, with Lord's Table uh, going on today to, to have some conversations around our table uh, in, these, in these ways. Um, and so I'll just read them real quick. What actions that would not be consistent with self-control in others Or ourselves, are we most prone to excuse away? And then two, what practical steps will you take this week to grow in the area of self-control? So, that's all I have. Let me pray for us, and then uh, I'll let you all have some discussions at your tables. (coughs) Lord, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you have rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into your kingdom, Lord. You have given us your Holy spirit as a helper and we need it Lord in the area of self-control. We are, uh, self-worshippers. We are, um, very prone Lord to promote ourselves, to think about ourselves, to pursue the best for ourselves, Lord. And, uh, I pray that we would be focused on dying to ourselves. That we would be asking your spirit to help us each day to consider how we need to die to self. How we need to put to death our flesh, Lord, so we can be more like you, that we can grow in Christ likeness, that so we can be conformed to the image of your son, Lord. That must be our greatest passion, our greatest desire, if we want to see growth in, in this area. And so I pray for all of us this week as we go out and do the work that you've given us to do, uh, whether that's in our home or in our family or whether that's uh, in in the world, Lord, that uh, we be pursuing self-control uh, to your honor and your glory. Jesus, let me pray. Amen.